Welcome to the Foreign and National Podcast, a show exploring diversity, inclusion, and our personal therapy sessions. My name is Sean. And I'm Vibhu. How you doing, Vibhu? Peachy, man. How are you? Peachy. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Cool. All right. Well, today's an exciting episode. I asked you how you're doing. I'm doing good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you're such a... Okay. All right, as I was saying, today's an exciting episode because we have our high school friend and current friend as well, Emily Catan, as a guest. Uh, Emily and I and Vibhu, obviously, all went to high school together, after which she's had a pretty interesting career work-wise and geographically, which I'll ask her to give a bit of a background. Emily, how you doing? And uh, tell us about yourself. Hey, I am well, and I'm coming to you from the future. I am in Dublin, Ireland, for all the listeners out there. Um, but I'm doing well. Did you ask me to explain my background already or? <laughs> yeah, we'd love you to talk a little bit about your background. We, uh, I mean, we've, we've talked a few times, all of us before, and uh, you've given us the context that you are racially Chinese, but ethnically you're Irish. Uh, expand on that a little bit. Give, uh, give a little bit more context behind that. Yeah, perfect. So firstly, I have to say thanks for having me on. I am excited, nervous. This is my first time doing a podcast. This is probably the coolest thing I've done recently. Um, But yes, I'm Emily. I am 25. I am from the Bay Area and now living in Dublin, Ireland. I am Asian American, um, but I was adopted as a baby at six months. My mom is Irish and my dad's American, so I somewhere fall in between being American, Irish, and Asian at the same time. Um, And yeah, I'm working in Dublin here at a tech company, and I've been here for almost two years, which most of it's been spent in lockdown, which is crazy, feeling like I went abroad for my young 20s to travel and have mostly traveled in my five kilometer radius right now. Um, But yeah, that's a little bit more about me. Yeah, if this is the most exciting thing you've done recently, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> we really are in a quarantine pandemic yeah, situation. This, 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 is, this is proof for all of our listeners that we really are in a complete lockdown. So like, okay, so real quick, I'm, I'm curious, uh, what is the pandemic isolation situation in Ireland right now? So right now we are in a level five lockdown, which is like the worst it can be pretty much. Um, but we also kind of change the rules every month, I feel like. But basically, it's a five kilometer radius. That's low. <laughs> essential, um, essential retail only. Um, take away coffee, take away food. But then, like the Garda stop people. Garda means is police here. Basically, same thing. There's checkpoints, and then they just kind of ask you where you're going or where you're coming, and they wave you through. There's not really a process to check if that's legit or not. Um, but then they're finding cyclists, so it's kind of like a little bit inconsistent. But yeah, I am doing my best to to stay sane, stay in my 5K, do what's right, wear my mask in the shop. Um, but somehow cases are some like going down, but not enough. Um, so we're we're in it for a little bit longer, I think. Yeah, I'd say I'd say we're also in level five. So Texas just lifted their mask mandate and opened up <laughs> completely. So I'd say I'd say we're pretty pretty neck and neck there. Yeah. In terms yeah. Of, in I mean, terms if anything, of, America is even stricter than Ireland right now. It's the best country in the world. So what are you what are you gonna do? <laughs> Actually, I, I, it's really interesting to me that your police is actually stopping people and asking them where they're going. Because yeah. technically, we also have a radius. I don't know, if Sean, if you've noticed that. I don't know. There are billboards on the freeways, the digital billboards that say, don't go any farther than like 50 miles or something from I've, your house. I've seen the ones that say like, stop the spread, 
wear a mask, which I already think people will find depressive. <laughs> so I can't imagine seeing, you know, like someone who already, you know, the whole like, oh, I hate the government, seeing a <laughs> sign that says stay within X miles. Yeah, at least in the, I guess at that. least in the Bay Area, uh, you know, they have kind of a radius, but nobody's checking, right? Like everybody's driving. So it's really interesting in Ireland, they're taking that radius super seriously. Yeah. Anyway, that was a bit of a tangent. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to move on to the interesting part of our <laughs> conversation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you know, you're, you're just you described yourself as, you know, racially Chinese and ethnically uh, Irish. Um, how's that breakdown on your family and parents side? Uh, like what part of you feels Chinese? What part of you feels Irish? Uh, and I guess I want to ask you some questions based on it, but I want to kind of understand and maybe give our listeners some context to what that actually means to you. Yeah. So I suppose for me, if you break it down, I feel physically the most part of me feels like the Asian side, the Chinese side, because that's what I represent on the outside. But really culturally and inside, I feel very Irish, but especially now because I live here, but very American too. I mean, I grew up um, in the Bay Area, but I would say a lot of my roots in terms of my mom um, kept a lot of traditions that she would have had growing up. So I did Irish dancing since like age five. I played field hockey, which is a really common sport here. Um, My mom's circles of friends in the Bay Area, a lot of them are Irish. And so growing up, I really did feel Irish, you know, I would describe myself as as half. And I guess almost naively younger, I didn't necessarily think other people would view me differently because I felt Irish and American on the inside. Um, But I guess to to your point, I'm mostly reminded of my Asian-ness externally by other people, which is an interesting phenomenon. And sometimes I have this outer body experience where I almost forget and I'm like looking at myself and I'm like, oh, yes, I'm Asian. Um, And that happens a lot in the the community. It's it's a weird one. I'll give you an example, though. So um, when I was living in the Midwest for a while, um, which we can talk about later, but, um, I was going to the doctor and I had to give them my driver's license. I don't know why I feel like that's not a normal thing, but anyway, she asked for my driver's license to look at my details, take my name down probably. And my middle name is Chinese, which my parents kept, um, from, I suppose my birth certificate in China when they adopted me. Um, and the, the woman asked me, Oh, so you're, you were born in China. Um, you have amazing English. And I, I kind of was taken aback because to me, I'm like, well, why would I not have good English? Like, I'm American. I grew up here. But I suppose it was yeah. a reminder to me that I look different than maybe how I sound or how I come across if you didn't know me as a person. So that's kind of kind of one example. And then I guess another is here, um, really, because I have dual citizenship, which I recently got in 2019, right before the pandemic kicked off. Um, but when I tell people I have dual citizenship or my mom is Irish, they just look at me and don't necessarily see where the Irish part comes in. I get weird looks right. and some people try to guess, oh, are you half? But I really don't look half. So um, that's the other thing. Or if I'm with my family and I'm, it's just maybe one parent, they're like a little confused. And if it's both of them, it's like, oh, well, clearly she's adopted or maybe they're, they're friends. So, um, yeah, I would say when you break up identity internally, I really do feel Irish and American. But part of me as, as growing up has had to learn to embrace the Asian side. I, I would by no means say I know uh, enough or a lot about Asian culture. But I think part of me growing up and maturing has been able to embrace all three identities because for a long time, I didn't necessarily embrace the Asian side. That's that's really interesting. 
That's, yeah, a lot of that is, I guess, stuff that I would kind of expect you to feel kind of, you know, looking one way, but ethnically, you know, growing up, being told, you know, or not being told, but being brought up, you know, with those Irish cultural roots and uh, whatever your obviously mom wanted to, you know, instill in you. Did you ever feel kind of like uncomfortable or out of place when like meeting your Irish family for the first time or like have that realization that, hey, I might look different from these people, but obviously we share culturally a lot of the same values, at least the way you've been brought up. How's that situation been like for you? And like, how have you like kind of alleviated that discomfort growing up and becoming more comfortable with your three identities, obviously? Yeah. So, I mean, growing up, it was never really told to me that I was adopted. Um, I don't ever remember a discussion where my parents sat me down and were like, we weren't, you know, your real biological parents, like you didn't come from us. I, I never had that moment. I actually do remember as a child, my mom used to read me this book and it was about a Chinese baby that was adopted. I, I really vividly remember the pages. They were like yellow, kind of like pastel painted. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And again, was that not, like her subliminal way of <laughs> maybe of it was their of... way of telling me that I was adopted without actually telling me. Um, but, but I mean, I was adopted at six months. I, you know, as long as I know my mom has been my mom and I looked at her as my mom, I never thought differently. And by no means, I, I never felt confused about who I was as a person or anything like that. As a child, I've always felt love and like such a part of my family here. Um, my mom is very close to our family in Ireland. Like, you know, we would come here all the time in our summers and I was literally part of the cousins and the, like acted like sisters to them. Um, we would do camps together. At some point, the neighbors kind of knew who I was coming back every summer. So I wouldn't say by any means I felt uncomfortable, but it was more extrinsically in the community where maybe someone made made a comment. But I, I guess, yeah, as a kid, I never felt like we talked about it too much. Um, but I, I knew, right? Like, you, you know, you grow up and there's yeah, psychological right. and biological things that tell you. Um, my mom actually told me, I think as a child, we were in preschool or I was in preschool and this is the um, the Montessori, you know, the teachers had said, told this story back to my parents that uh, in this in the schoolyard, a boy uh, saw an Asian woman walking in and saying, oh, Emily, your mommy's here. And I was like, no, 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 my mommy doesn't look like that. So I guess at age, <laughs> at, <laughs> at age four, I was aware, right, that like I knew what she looked like, whether or not I knew that she was Asian or not. I don't know. But I could at least identify that 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 woman wasn't my mom. I'm I'm really curious because uh, that's I would imagine that's a lot to process that you look so different from your parents, right? Uh, now, granted, you've been adopted probably as as long as you can remember, right? It's not like you have a memory with a different set of parents first and then another set of parents after. But did you ever? I don't know. Have you always processed it really well, or did you like? Was there a growing pain at some point in your life growing up? Yeah, I think there are definitely growing pains. And it, it, you know, as every teenager goes through it, um, I would say probably the middle school years, and then into the early years of high school, I really struggled with not necessarily identity, but like beauty and extra extrinsic um, features, I suppose. I mean, the Bay Area, um, there are a lot of Asian Americans. But again, my parents circles weren't necessarily Asian people. And in school and middle school, I had a lot of um, friends who were white. 
And this is one thing that really sticks with me. I remember like trying to straighten my hair in middle school at dances. And my hair is like pretty straight already. But I was straightening my hair because my white friends were doing it. And then when we would put on makeup, they would put on like eyeshadow and eyeliner. But I don't have the same eye shape as them. So I was like, I don't know how to do my makeup. And I don't know. I just really tried to fit in with what I thought was like the standard of beauty or what I should look like, right? Like my parents are are white. I should look this way. Um, and for a long time, I struggled and didn't necessarily have the confidence, I suppose, you know, beauty wise. Um, and I was, oh, I just really want to look like them. You know, they would have like my parents, kids, if they, they had them, they would have blue eyes or green eyes and they'd have fair skin and, um, they'd probably be tall because both my parents are tall. And I guess I struggled with that a lot more in those teenage years, you know, you're going through puberty or, you know, socializing with boys and then you go to high school and you see certain images of, of beauty in the media that don't look like you or they didn't look like me, but I felt like I should look like them because of my parents. So I went through that for yeah. sure. That struggle for was, sure. Was this, was this something that your parents you think were equipped to help you with or were they kind of figuring it along as the same time as you, you know, helping you deal with these identity issues or you know, going through the rebellious phases, you know, how, how did they kind of, I guess, put up with it or, or deal with it? Um, I don't know that I voiced it a lot to them in terms of like beauty necessarily. I actually do remember sure. this for my, the first middle school dance, my neighbor actually did my hair and she was Filipino. And I don't know whether she was just better at hair. My mom never was like that great at, I don't know, braiding my hair or even like curling it and stuff. So we had my neighbor do it. And it's just funny because I don't know, maybe there was is something about it. She can deal with Asian hair or something like that. But um, I, I wouldn't say I vocalized it a lot to them that I, I struggled with these confidence issues. And we've talked about it in our, as I've matured and that we've become closer um, you know, when you grow older, you're, you see your parents also as, as friends sometimes. And I feel like as I've gone older and even moved away, like I've been able to, to relay that back to them of, wow, I feel like I sucked. And I was like really mean to you because I was angry or confused. <laughs> and I was like struggling through some of these identity things. Um, I vividly remember and not getting in fights with my parents, but you know, if, if I was upset, I would I vividly remember saying once, like, you shouldn't have adopted me if you didn't want to deal with my problem. So that was a really oh, mean. Well. <laughs> it was really mean. Yeah, really, really mean. Yeah, I, yeah. I can really. I've, I've said some mean things to my parents in the heat of the moment in, like, middle school and high school. But, yeah, that's – I guess it's good that they, they understand that you were struggling with some of this stuff. Yeah, and I think, like, again, we reconciled that. And my mom was like, you weren't really that bad as a teenager. And I was like, oh, I felt bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting to me is that a lot of the the clashes that you felt, a lot of the uh, desires to, to fit in, adopt, like, wish you had blue eyes, blonde hair, straighten your hair, it felt more inspired by looking at your friends than uh, looking at your family. Is that is that right? Do I have a good handle on that? In a way, yes. Like, obviously, my friend group um, was very influential to me growing up in those years, those formative years as a teenager. But truly, like, my family are incredible here. We are, like I said, my grandmother um, had three daughters. So that's my three, aunt, my mom and my her two sisters. And then um, it's me. And then there's uh, six other cousins that were all women. So they are very, very strong influences on, my, influences on my life. And I came here so much in the summer, like we were, you know, one, like a big family. And I 
always really wanted to move here when I was a kid. I was like, I just want siblings. I want friends, girlfriends around me and my family. And so again, maybe because, I mean, they shared this, the same love for me as they would have if I looked like them, you know, it didn't matter to us. And I don't think, again, it was ever discussed in, in our family um, that it was, was pointed out at all by like anyone in the family. It was just known like Emily's home from America. She's our American cousin. Um, but I was, I was very, very influenced by, I think my, my, the female cousins and and the side that connects us here in Ireland, um, equally as much as my, as much as my friends at home. I think it's really commendable that, uh, it doesn't sound like your parents, uh, ever made you feel uncomfortable growing up or made you feel kind of like out of place growing up. It just, it, it almost feels like it was like, okay, so you just so happen to not look like us, you know, it, it almost feels casual. Um, your relationship with them. And so I want to segue that into a question that I wanted to ask you, which is that a lot of um, familial relations or feelings around family are kind of, are often heard uh, being tied to, you know, these are my family members. I came from my parents, you know, I'm related to my brother or my sister by blood. Yeah. You know, like blood blood relation. relation, Right. Blood relation is uh, I've heard it be a cornerstone of a lot of familial relationships, but uh, in a literal sense, that's something that doesn't necessarily apply to you. So I almost feel like you would have a purer take or, or maybe even a different take on what do you think makes a family a family, right? Or how have you thought about this before? Absolutely. I mean, I remember going through psychology class in high school and like one of the first lessons is nurture versus nature, um, which totally applies to me. I think in all senses, blood doesn't matter to us at all because we're literally not from the same blood. And it's funny, I go to the doctor and they'll ask for a history, um, any like medical history. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm adopted. Um, and then they just kind of skip past the question. They're like, well, we can't do anything about it anyway. But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a funny one. Everyone's been telling me I should do 23andMe, but I'm not bothered yet. Um, I, I, I will eventually. Um, but back to your point, um, I think for us, like it's all about the the bond and the family connection and the experiences and the moments. And my parents truly treated me as the, I was their own. Like, again, my, my mom didn't feel she should or had to put me through Chinese school or like, you know, have me connect a lot with my roots. I Again, she wouldn't have ever held me back from it if it's what I wanted. But I don't think she changed how she would mother and parent me. And my dad, the same, didn't, you know, father me any differently um, just because I looked different or that it could be ex- expected that I would, you know, go down a path to explore my, my Asian traditions or, or roots. Um, but yeah, I think for me, like in all senses of the word family, it's, it's more about the care and the love that we have for each other versus any, you know, strong bloodlines. Um, I will say though, not that I, it bothers me again, because it doesn't now, but you know how like, you know, looking at photos of old family members, and you're like, Oh, you know, they resemble the other person so much, you know, I, I don't have that. Mm, um, right. And it, it's more of a fun thing, right? Like that you have his eye, you know, you have his eyes, or you have her hair, that kind of thing. I mean, no one ever says that about me. Um, sure. And I, it, it actually drives me to want to have a child of my own just to have someone that looks like me um that's in my family it it's a it's an interesting motivation like i i do want to have a family at some point anyways but it's an even more like motivating factor for me and again not because i didn't feel loved because i looked different but it's just like something intrinsic and maybe unconscious like psychological thing that happens right like 
when we see people who represent us or look like us, we have an instant connection. But I'm honestly admired and or I guess I admire how much my mom didn't let that get in the way um, at all that we didn't look alike or that I didn't resemble her as a daughter, but still completely feel like so connected to her as as my mother. Like she's my mom. I don't call her my adopted mom. She's my mom. And my dad is my dad. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's it's really cool to see how like they've just embraced you so well. Like even when I go to India, sometimes they'll treat me like almost like an outsider and like a, he's from America. He's like yeah, and like oh yeah, that's actually very common. Not being able to relate to their traditions very well. It almost seems like your Irish family has done it better with you than like actually that's a good point. Our I didn't own even families, think about that. our own families have done it with us at times. Where yeah, you you get the sense right? Like when I've traveled, and I definitely feel like you don't belong in some of the social settings or like cultural settings and. I don't know. That's it's cool because that that ties in because they're like my blood family. But in a way, I feel more distant from them than Emily seems like she feels from her Irish side of the family, especially now yeah. that she's living there for two years. So, I think that's a case in point for like why blood relatives don't necessarily mean like anything. blood isn't enough to to call someone family. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so much more of a connection than than just that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but you're so right. Like we're we're considered NRIs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Non-residential Indians. Uh, and then it's a whole other class of treatment. No, but like the the thing that you know, it's like I, I remember going to India a while ago, and trying to talk to them in Hindi, which is our language, and like they were, you know, kind of like, oh, he doesn't even speak proper Hindi, blah blah blah. But there was such a sense of like, I they made me explicitly feel like such an outsider. Yeah. And I that's just maybe I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but the the cultural differences, I think that come from that are incredible. And I, I just, it's really cool to see you, Emily, being able to just like go live in Ireland and embrace this side of you so well and be so taken in by, by your family. So props to them and props to you. <laughs> I also have to add, I feel I've obviously heavily talked about the Irish side because I live here now. I have to obviously, you know, commend that my American side, aka my dad's side, has equally been as welcoming and loving because um, he's probably gonna listen to this so shout out dad um that his <laughs> his family hello equally, mr katan <laughs> his name's andrew um he equally Hi, obviously <laughs> his his family has again equally loved me the same and i've been able to embrace um that side we definitely visited them equal, you know enough and the same amount um as i was a kid and, and everything um and i guess to the flip side of that i i wanted to mention that I, I sometimes then feel this imposter syndrome when it comes to like the Asian-ness. Um, again, this happens to me in public sometimes, mostly when I was in California, but um, say like an elderly or somebody in like a grocery store or an airport, it's happened to me. They try to speak um, Chinese to me and I'm like, oh gosh, I can't help you. I'm sorry. And then there's this awkward moment where we're both like, oh, and then sometimes if it's, <laughs> it, if it's somebody older, I get a sense of like, oh my gosh, she doesn't speak her mother tongue. Like how, you know, how shameful. So there's, that happens quite a lot. And, you know, if somebody like in high school, this is, this is the craziest thing. Someone once told me, you know, you're pretty sporty for an Asian person or like, you're not that Oof. good at math for an Asian person. I'm like, what does that even mean? Um, or, you know, you must be really good at using chopsticks or, you know, you must have a lot of a good Asian cuisine in your, your household. It's like those assumptions and those things that are made. I like, I feel imposter syndrome because I'm like, well, actually I didn't know how to use high school or chopsticks till I was in high school or after high school, even, um, actually a funny story, Jess, who you had on the show earlier, 
or the podcast earlier, she, for my 18th birthday, gave me these like chopstick trainers and it like essentially holds the top of your chopsticks together so you can like more smoothly use them because I didn't know how to use chopsticks. Um, so that's like, again, a moment where I think I I would love to, you know, I haven't been to, to China or Asia for that matter at all. It's something that's on my list. Um, thank you, pandemic. But uh, I... Again, I don't in any way feel like I know the Asian side of me that much. But again, having to learn how to embrace that part of me as an identity because I go through life as an Asian person with the Asian American experience or the Asian abroad experience. And so, again, uh, imposter syndrome comes up quite a bit when people ask me about culture related to Asia because I'm like, well, I celebrated as much as, you know, my school celebrated like Lunar New Year. We would get those red envelopes. Or we would go to the, um, you know, the festival in San Francisco and see the dragon dancing. So, like, again, my limited knowledge of some of these um, culture or traditions or even, like, values, again, um, so foreign to me. But, yeah, I represent that on the outside. So it's an interesting one for sure. That's that's really cool. I mean, just a quick aside, like, you're hearkening back to Jess's episode, too. Just the comments you guys got in high school are so they're so weird. <laughs> it's just it's just a stereotype you know like again what they see yeah yeah I, definitely and I feel like in my younger days maybe I was a bit angry and upset and I think I've learned to mature to you know assume good intent and and to use it as a teaching moment right like if we're all going to be angry about someone's something someone said to us at like 15 you know where are we going to go but I think oh it's, yeah for sure it's more just yeah. how, how that's a, we're that's a, that's a refreshingly positive take on, on, on that, sort of, <laughs> that sort of encounter um at the time I definitely didn't feel that way I was like how dare you say that to me Um, my parents are white (laughs) um we we do want to pivot the conversation a little bit yeah so uh you you touched on this very I mean not very slightly but you touched on this a little bit um in your last answer but do you like you know uh partake in Chinese culture or like what how, how big is that in your life growing up or how big has it become or has there been ways in which you try to now embrace the Chinese American in you uh, in ways that you didn't think you would growing up? Like what's that uh, uh, kind of identity slash transformation transition been like for you? I think it, it mostly is kind of started, I guess, in college um, where there were a lot more, I guess, Asian Americans around or people that I felt like I could have mature conversations with or talk about some of these things with of like experiences that they were going through or stereotypes that they faced or, just their experiences really like um and and again coming into the working world um i think my passion for it or interest in it to learn more has developed as maybe i haven't seen a lot of women or that look like me in my in my role or in my company or in my workplace or in my day to day and for sure in ireland there are not a lot of um asian people that at least i encounter right mostly on the the day-to-day and especially during the pandemic um so I think it's really evolved maybe later in my life again in those high school days I really shied away from the Asian side of me and again I used my adoption story and the fact that I'd grown up culturally like the majority as a crutch I always justified and it's funny my roommate here we were just talking about this. She was like, the first thing you said to me, like one of the first few things you said when you introduced yourself was like, I'm Emily. I'm, you know, my parents are Irish or my mom's Irish and I'm, I'm adopted. Like that was something I used to introduce myself because I wanted it to be known, you know? Um, Straight from the get go. Like, yeah, yeah, you wanted to, 
clear the air judgment yeah like use it as a way to like not prove myself but you know explain something and I I definitely do it here too in person when I'm with family like it's sometimes just easier to get it out of the room because people are confused um (laughs) if they see me this happens a lot my cousin actually and I work at the same company and so when we were in the office and we were together and you know it would come up that we're first cousins the looks what we would get was like back and forth so clearly <laughs> and then it's almost like she'd be spelled People out just like for visible you. confusion in their faces yeah. yeah one thing i've been amused by is just like you gave the example a few minutes ago of uh somebody being confused when you say you're irish like an irish person being confused yeah. when you also say you're irish and they're just trying to reconcile like are you half what's going on here I, i've been amused by imagining like somebody's expression yeah. when they when they're figuring that out yeah, and it's funny because the cousin that works with me has dark hair. So they're like, oh, well, maybe maybe they are related because maybe it's like one of the parents is Asian or something or something went wrong. <laughs> it's just, oh it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny experience. They're just running through science experiments in their head <laughs> trying to figure out how this all adds up. Yeah, we, we again, I usually will just go straight forward and say it because I'm like, let's just get the elephant out of the room. But I think I'm yeah. digressing yeah. a bit. Um, but yeah, I think as I've matured and grown older, my interest and my passion and my like, I guess even activism around the subject has been a lot more vibrant because of the experiences and the worldview I have and have come, you know, in a place where there aren't a lot of people that look like me being able to champion both like the Asian American side and also then also, but on the inside, I'm Irish. Um, so it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting one. One thing that struck me when we've been when we talked together was that uh, even though you don't necessarily uh, uh, partake in Chinese culture, the idea of people looking like you being around you is really important to you. And that drove you. I think at one point you told me that when you were in Minnesota working for your company, you started an Asian ERG there that you led for some time. Walk us through that. Yeah, I think the stats there were like one percent of the community was asian and um i was really heavily involved with our um black sat employee resource group just by nature of it had quite a lot of diverse um, backgrounds and interesting people in the group and they did a lot of social events to get newcomers to the community involved and i just was really drawn to it and i got involved as a like in the marketing and communication space like kind of helping with events and at the time there was no Asian group, but there were so many, um, you know, there are a lot of Asian people in the company that, you know, I hadn't met, but only through the blacks, um, black that group. And someone said to me like, why don't you start your own ERG for the, you know, for Asians? And I was like, Oh, is that a thing? Can I do that? I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I stayed on the board for quite a bit longer at the black sat group. And I actually went to the conference, um, that they had put on that year. And again, I was in a sea of pretty much all black people and was the only one um, that was Asian. And I didn't think of it differently because I felt so welcomed in that community too. Um, And someone actually said it to me, like, that's so cool that you're here. I was like, well, what what do you mean? Like, we're all here. It's all cool that we're all, you know, fighting the fight. And they were like, yeah, well, you're the only Asian person here. I was like, oh, I didn't think of that. Again, always constantly reminded of how I look by other people. Um, But yeah, I, essentially there was no initiative for the Asian at group and I just took a bold move and was like how do I get a chapter initiated kind of went through the process connected with like headquarters version of the chapter and 
essentially started it. But like I mentioned before, imposter syndrome, because here I am culturally not really celebrating a lot of Asian traditions, but like leading this group to bring together Asian backgrounds. So it was definitely um, a learning moment for me, right? Like when I would introduce myself as the leader, I just told them I'm from the Bay Area in California. And actually I grew up with, you know, an Irish mom and an American dad and was learning so much from them about different foods, different religions, different languages, yeah. different like areas of the world, doing potlucks. It's a cool doing, education. Yeah, like doing meet and greets. Um, and obviously in that process, then became really a champion for for it. But again, I was like, do I deserve this leadership position? I mean, I was just here with an energy to connect people and make people feel like they belonged and, you know, try to start something, something new and teach the community um, and if you look hard, I think in any community, you can always find people to connect with, which is what I learned the most in that situation is, you know, extrinsically in the community, I never thought there were that many Asian people, but there there were when we when we looked hard right. enough. Sure. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, I think uh, it just goes back to again, as I'm getting older and, and learning more and traveling and like seeing new places, I want to to embrace that side more or learn more and also try to have a balance of all three, American, Asian, Irish. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a, a, a bit about how I got into that to that role. Yeah, so when they say representation matters, it's representation on all angles, right? It's not just, like, culturally or physically. Like, uh, even, even just seeing people who looked like you was a big deal, whether or not you actually practice the culture. But just seeing people who look like you probably made you feel a little bit more comfortable you know, in Minnesota at your company. I, I, had a, I had a quick quick question. And this is just like a small note you made where someone was like, you know, you're the only Asian person here. And you were like, oh yeah, I guess I am. Did you ever like almost forget that you, maybe people would look at you and think you're Asian? Where like you, you know, you're in Ireland or something and like, you know, you've gone a few weeks and then someone's like, oh, by the way, you're Asian. And you're like, no, I'm not. And then you have to be like, <laughs> oh no, wait, no, yeah, I, I am technically like, it, I don't know if that question even makes sense, but it's like, does it even, like, does it go so far in your mind that it doesn't come up that, you know, that you, you feel Asian sometimes? Oh, that, that happens to me a lot. Like, as I said, I have these outer body experiences sometimes where I'm like, oh, that's what I look like when I look in the mirror. Um, not that you, like, forget what you look like, but again, I'm I'm out in the community. I don't see that I look different until it's I'm reminded of it sometimes. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, well, hey, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for explaining your worldview and your experiences and uh, giving us an insight into what it's like to be you. Uh, this was a really fun conversation. We I, 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 th- I think I think there's a lot of stuff that people wouldn't expect from someone with, I guess, the background that Emily has or just like hasn't thought about it. But yeah, this was yeah that there are other people out there that probably have a similar experience like you. That's really cool. Thank you for having me on, guys. Like, amazing. I cannot wait to keep watching and listening. And I'm your number one fan. And please remember me when you guys are super famous. <laughs> yeah, right. As if that's going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> but we will. Uh, in the meantime, to all of our listeners, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Foreign and National, spelled N-A-T-L. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at podcast at Foreign and National, spelled out that time, dot com. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers.